Well, that was a great job, wasn't it? Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm so glad you're with us for what is part two of a Christmas series that we're engaged in. And thank you for being with us. I want you to stay really attentive for the next couple of moments. And I mentioned last week that I love Christmas decorations. If you agree with me, will you wave your hand? Do you love Christmas decorations? Now, this is not a trick question. If you don't have one of these, it doesn't mean you're like not a good Christian or anything. It's not a trick question. It doesn't mean you're spiritual if you do or do not have one. So I'll just mention it. Do you happen to have a nativity scene anywhere around your house outside inside do you have a yeah wave if you do if you don't well that's fine and doesn't mean anything but you don't have one and we haven't always had one or had one at all times but we have one right now and uh, I'm I'm self-diagnosed I don't know if it would bear out in the doctor's office but I'm self-diagnosed OCD I just know enough about me that I'm that way and everything needs a certain place in its certain way in its certain position and I just feel better. I breathe better when everything is in its place. How many of you can relate to me in that regard? And uh, unfortunately, I passed this uh, down genetically, I guess, to my daughter, uh, Audrey, who is seated near the front with her husband, Zeb. And uh, when Audrey, I can remember when Audrey was about five years old, she wanted uh, this special uh, shampoo and conditioner, as sometimes little girls do. And uh, I thought as a dad and with my frugality gear fully kicked in, I thought we need to splurge on her and get her something like Equate. How many of you are with me on that? <laughs> that that's what she really needed. But for some reason, she thought that she needed Mary-Kate and Ashley shampoo and conditioner. How many of you, does that date you? Anybody remember Mary-Kate and Ashley? And that's the conditioner that she thought she needed to have for whatever reason. I'm like, are you kidding we're not getting her that. That's expensive. She'll waste it. And she promised that she wouldn't until she was caught. And uh, one day her mom walked in and caught her pouring, just uh, pouring the conditioner straight into the tub where she was taking a bath. Just pouring the, I mean, naughty quake conditioner, Mary Kate and Ashley conditioner, just pouring it into the tub straight, not on her hair, not being used. And, and she set it down, and uh, she got in quite a lot of trouble. Her explanation was this, and I'm not making it up. Ask her after the service. The conditioner wasn't level with a shampoo, <laughs> so she had to make it. How many of you know she's got it as bad as her daddy does? She's got it as bad as her daddy does, and that's when she was five, and it's only gotten worse. Well, the nativity scene, I went to open up the blinds uh, early one morning, and I noticed that, um, let's just say somebody was out of position. Unfortunately, it wasn't baby Jesus, but was it just like angled right? And so had to be angled right. Have you ever thought about this? You probably haven't. Now you'll go home and look. Uh, have you ever noticed this about the nativity scene? Nobody looks stressed out in the nativity scene. You look, you go home, just look up real close. Just look, get a magnifying glass if you have to. Nobody looks stressed out. You never look at a character in the nativity scene and say, wow, they look like they're really disturbed about something. They're really frightened. I wonder what's agitating them. I wonder what they're so anxious about. I wonder what they're so worried about. Nobody looks under, uh, like they're under a lot of pressure. And a lot of times with the Christmas story, we inaccurately presuppose 
that everybody is doing great because it's just a wonderful, peaceful time. There's no pressure. There's no, everything is simple. Everything is peaceful. They're not caught up in the, uh, you know, the ongoing challenges like we have from time to time, like career problems or our kid problems or marriage problems or money problems or physical problems. And we may think, hey, there's just not a lot of stress going on way back then and that day when the nativity is actually being played out. Yet I believe that over the next couple of moments, you're going to be extraordinarily surprised just how stressful that it actually was. And I want to take you on a journey. And if you want to go on a trip with me, we're going to go on a journey. And uh, we're going to look rather close at Mary, the mother of Jesus. So let's get into our story a little bit. We first meet up with Mary uh, when she is paid a visit from an angel. Now, last week, uh, if you were here, you know that we mentioned that she went to the home of her cousin Elizabeth, and, and Elizabeth just pronounces this great blessing over her life. She sings out this song, but we're going to a different time. This is not the same occasion. The angel appears to Mary and announces to Mary, you have found favor with God. And she's like, all right, that sounds good, but what does that mean? You have found favor with God. And here's what that means. In your case, Mary, it means you're going to have a baby. And she's like, time out, time out. We've got a problem here. How can I have a baby when I've never been with a man before? See, Joseph and I, we're engaged. We're not even married yet. And so, you know, this seems like an utter impossibility. But Mary has a very interesting response to this. And I want you to look at it with me. This is in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 1. And I want you to see her response right here on the screen. Mary was, and we get this, once you think about it, Mary was greatly troubled at his, his being the angel's words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. How many of you know this is not your usual greeting? Hey, how are you? You doing all right? How are you? Everything fine in your life? Well, it was, but it's not now. The reality was that Mary was a very ordinary girl. And in these moments, she's thinking, you know, I really believe this. Uh, and this is why it wasn't so peaceful and it wasn't so simple and it wasn't so ordinary. I think in those moments when this angel made such a bold pronouncement to Mary, hey, you have found favor with God. And guess what? You're going to have a child. And she's like, who, me? Like, why me? And, and why have I been singled out? And, and what's so special about me? I'm just an ordinary girl. I'm just an ordinary person. And Mary, listen, she was. She was just an ordinary girl. And, and by the way, she had a very ordinary name. Mary was a very, very common name. Now, I'm uh, my mom, and you guys know by now how I feel about my mom who passed away just a few short years ago. Her name was Mary. I had a fairly popular, um, you know. Um, name in the generation that my mom was born, but not nearly as, po uh, as, as popular as it was at this time. All right, here, you can do this. If you know the person, if you don't know them, you may not want to breathe on them, uh, speak in their direction. But if you know them, here's what I want you to ask. All right, here's, here's the question, and you're going to give a response. You can just share it among yourselves if you'd like, then I'll give you the correct answer. How common was the name Mary? Let me put it this way. What percentage of ladies at this time, actually had the name Mary. What percent? I'll give you a moment. Ding, dong, ding, dong, ding, dong. All right. How many of you said 10%? Raise your hand. Or you thought it, you said it or thought it. How about 20%? Keep going. How about 30%? How about 40%? 
How about New Testament scholars tell us that as many as 50% of the women in Jesus' day, before actually around this time when Mary's just a young, unwed teenage girl, that as many as 50% of the women actually had the name Mary. How many of you know that made for some confusion confusing times just could you imagine uh just calling out in public or all day hey mary one out of every two women turn and look <laughs> i mean a very very and she's like what's so special about me i'm just an ordinary girl and i've got a very ordinary name now you and i let me just state it like this you and i look back all right we look back to the story of the Christ child, and now it made sense to us because we know it was a historical occurrence. We know that it happened, and we look back. We're on this side of it, and we look back, and we don't get it completely, but we get it for the most part. But can you imagine Mary? Mary is not on this side of it. Mary is on the other side of it, and nobody's written about this. Nobody's talking about this. Um, you know, there's been the prophecy of the Old Testament but I'm not sure that Mary was totally familiar with that. And if, even if she was, I'm not sure that she ever thought that her life would play a role in that. And she's on this side of it, and she's got a lot of questions, and she is totally confused. And she's like, oh, man, what does all of this mean? What does all of this mean? Um, what does she know uh, is this. There's a lot she doesn't know, but this is what she knows. She knows that she is pregnant now, and she knows that she's got to go to a righteous guy that she's uh, really in love with, Joseph, and she's got to explain to Joseph that she is going to have a baby. And I don't know how that played out, but it probably wasn't too far removed from something like this. Hey, Joseph, here's the situation. Just so you know on the front end, I have not been unfaithful to you, not even for a moment, Joseph, I am still a virgin, and that's as true now as it's ever been before, but God is clearly doing a miracle in my body that I don't fully understand, therefore I cannot completely understand it to you. Now, can you imagine? There's nothing peaceful about this. And I imagine as Mary's anticipating this moment, her reaction is something like this. Well, what's, you know, what's the response I'm going to get? When, when I look Joseph in the eye and tell him I love him as much as I've ever loved him before, that I've never had a moment that I've, I've been unfaithful, I'm a child, I'm going to have a baby, and uh, I'm still a virgin, uh, how is Joseph going to react to that? How many of you wave at me if you think that's going through our mind? How many of you think it eased into our mind this as well? What if, what is Joseph's family going to think? Wave at me if you think it. Do you think she's wondering, well, for that matter, what is my family going to think? And, and what is everybody going to think in this little community that I live where everybody knows everybody's business? See, this is not a peaceful time for Mary. This is not a stress-free time for Mary at all. Because Mary knew, and I want you to get this. I want you to get this. Mary knew that saying yes to God would probably mean that she would have to say goodbye to Joseph and to the future marriage that was so much a part of her life and thinking. She would certainly forfeit. I know this must have entered her mind. How could it not? She would certainly forfeit, forfeit her great reputation, a small village like Nazareth where only a few hundred 
people live. So this is not peaceful. This is not simple. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of anxiousness going on in the story of the Christ child. But for just a few moments, and we'll come back to this time, you know, in, in Mary's life and, you know, leading up to the birth of Jesus. But for just a moment, I, I want to jump ahead to that time when Jesus begins his own ministry in his hometown. He gives his first message. You can check this out later on your own. He gives his very first message in the synagogue, and it's almost impossible to believe that Mary would have not been there because isn't that what a mom would do? I, I can't remember the first time, you know, when I was a student, Dr. Hackett at Southeastern University, I just reached a point where I'm like, at some point, if I'm training to be a pastor, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna have to learn how to preach. And, and how many of you know, when you're a college student, your phone's not ringing off the hook, you know, with all these invitations. So I would just, you know, I'd call up a pastor that I knew somehow, and I'd be like, hey, um, you know, and, and I was trying to be self-aware. It wasn't like I was calling up some mega church somewhere and saying, hey, I've never preached in my life. I'd like for your church to be the first one. <laughs> so I'd find a small church, and I, I did that with a church that was connected with my uncle and aunt, and I would got to know that pastor a little bit. And then I was going to visit my dad, and this was a small church in Valdosta, Georgia, a big, sprawling metropolitan area. Uh, Valdosta, and I knew that there was a church that actually years and years ago, I grew up in Atlanta, but, you know, won't bore you with the details. For a brief time, we lived in Valdosta, and we went to this church. Different pastor, but I called him up, and I said, I'm a Southeastern student, and I really, I, I, I'm called to preach. I want to preach, but I haven't really preached before, and I'm coming to visit my dad, and, you know, if you'd like to take a break one Sunday, I'd be happy to preach, and can you believe it? I've just sort of prepared myself for him to say no, because that's probably something I would have said, but he said, yeah. I'd love to have you preach. I'm like, oh boy, now what am I going to do? And so I, you know, I'm so nervous. I can't hardly stand. In fact, I love the story uh, about, uh, uh, I mentioned this guy last week, John Orberg. John Orberg tells the time, he said, uh, he said, I got up to preach my very first time. He said, I get about five minutes into my message. He said, I literally pass out and I, I hit the floor. I passed out and hit the floor. I love what he said next. He said, and I was preaching in a church where you didn't even get extra credit for that kind of thing. I passed it out and hit the floor. <laughs> and so this is my first message. I had my Bible, not an iPad, and I had my notes. And dad sitting out there, and I'm nervous. My stepmom and the little congregation, I stood up, and I'm like nervous, but I'm passionate. I'm nervous, but I'm passionate. And uh, I open up the Bible, and I read with the energy that only I could read with in those nervous moments where I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm called to preach, and I better learn now. And I read that passage with authority, and then I get to the end of it, and I realize I have read the wrong passage. I had nothing to do with the message that I had prepared. I said, wow, I'm getting off to a great start. Well, Jesus finishes this message. I would suppose that Mary was there, but when he gets through, there's not like a big response. Nobody's applauding. Nobody's giving him a standing no. Nobody's taken back. Mary's proud. Joseph's proud. 
But I want you, this is so unique to me, and maybe you've never seen this before. If you haven't, you need to see it today. I want you to look at the response. Again, there's not a big reaction. In fact, I don't know how open-minded that the people actually were because at this point they're like, we're not even sure who Jesus is and, you know, where he came from. This can't really be the Messiah. This can't really be the Son of God. And I want you to look at their response. This is so interesting to me. He gets to the end of his message and they say, isn't this the carpenter? You know, that's what Joseph was vocationally, right? Isn't this, what are those two words? Say it out loud, 100% of you. Isn't this? Isn't this? And you say, well, that's not that big of a deal. Why is it even highlighted on the screen? Well, it is a big deal. And I'll tell you why it's a big deal. Because in that day especially, men would always be identified as the son of their father. So if it was a usual response, they would have said something like this. Are you tracking with me? Wave at me. Are you with me? Have you had your coffee yet? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't what? It should have been an ordinary response. Isn't this Joseph's son? But that's not what they say. They say, isn't this Mary's son. Now, why does that matter? Why does that matter so much? They do this. They refer to Jesus as the son of Mary. And some commentators and theologians wonder, is it possible that they remembered Mary's story, that she had actually been an unwed, pregnant teenage girl, and it was like, in an essence, they were saying, well, we don't really know who his dad was, but we do know that he is the son of Mary. Let's stay in this vein for just a moment. It's quite interesting. Before we go back, what Jesus did when he grew up and began his ministry, he, he did things like welcome women who had a very questionable past. How many of you remember in the New Testament where he actually protected a woman when she was caught in adultery and it was stated that she was about to be stoned? Is it because possibly that he is remembering what people had said about his mom? Interesting, isn't it? Makes you think. But when the angel spoke to Mary, there was so much that she simply did not understand. She has all these questions. She has no idea what kind of hit her good reputation is going to take. And yet, and yet, and yet, Mary has this incredible response. Look at it on the screen here. Mary has this great response. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to be your word to me be fulfilled. How many of you know, just look, guys, keep that up for just a moment. How many of you know it would have been much easier for her to have said, please, not me, not me. I'm not ready for this. I'm not cut out for this. This is going to mean a lot of problems. This is going to mean a lot of challenge. This is going to be a lot of stress and a lot of anxiousness that I'm going to have to deal with. And hey, uh, you know, just move on to the next person. I don't really want to be troubled with this. But that's not what she says. I'm the Lord's servant. And may it be to me as you have planned. May your plan be fulfilled in my life. I thought it was interesting what one writer said. And they write it this way. And I'll quote, before Jesus ever suffered for Mary, in a sense, Mary had suffered for Jesus. And then God begins back to the story. Now, Jesus is not grown. Now back to the story. God begins to communicate what he's up to in this baby. 
I want you to hang in here with me for the next couple of moments because I want you to think through something, and you're really going to need to engage your mind and hang in here. So if you've been thinking about, okay, what am I getting for Christmas, or what do I need to buy for Christmas, or what are we going to have that day or the day before, I want you to come back to this moment and track with me on what I think, at least I think, is some fascinating historical information. During the time when Jesus was born, it was during the reign of, and once I mention it, you're going to know it, but I'll mention it nevertheless, Caesar Augustus. High above the leadership and authority of King Herod, how many of you remember King Herod from last week? High above his leadership and authority uh, was the head of the Roman Empire, the ruler of everything, that's Caesar Augustus. When Caesar Augustus, track with me on this now, when Caesar Augustus was very young, he was actually adopted. This is going to recall some of your history you studied way back then. He was adopted by Julius Caesar. Wave your hand if you've ever heard of Julius Caesar. And Caesar Augustus was actually adopted by him when he was really young. And Julius Caesar was the one who actually brought the entire Roman Empire together. This is interesting. Check this out sometime. In the year that Julius Caesar died, there was a comet that year, and people swore, they just swore that they saw Julius Caesar ascending into the heavens as a part of this comet. I'm not buying it, but that's what they swore. And so he was officially declared. When something like that happened and that, uh, that uh, you know, that legend sort of began to grow among the people in the Roman Empire, it was said that, that Julius Caesar, he, he was in fact officially declared to be God. And this became the beginning of emperor worship throughout Rome. Now, why does that matter to our story? You're like, wow, you know, that, you know, what does that have to do with what we're talking about today? Let's get back to that. Get back to Caesar Augustus for just a moment. If his father, who's his father? Julius Caesar. If his father was declared to be God, then who would that make Caesar Augustus? Son of, son of God. That would make him son of God. And Caesar Augustus, as the ruler of Rome, you have to give him some credit in this regard. He ended civil wars in that region. He really settled a lot of tension down. It was actually Caesar Augustus who initiated what became known as the Peace of Rome. And because of him, it was said that he became, catch this now, that he became the savior of Rome. Caesar Augustus. Are you with me on this? Son of God, Savior of his people who brought peace to earth. Does any of this sound remotely familiar to you? And this is, the, this is the context into which Jesus was born. Do you remember what the angel said to Mary? You remember it, don't you? Look at it here on the screen. So the Holy One to be born to you will be called. Who? Son of God. Who else was called? Son of God, Caesar Augustus, the savior of his people, the one who would bring peace to the earth. And then an angel appears to the shepherds and declares this to them. And we'll go back, go back to the screen for just a moment. Thank you guys for your great help, by the way. Look at this next part, the next one. But the angel said to them, to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. 
He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, what happens next is, for me at least, and I think perhaps it will be for you, is it's like eye-opening, attention-grabbing kind of stuff. I want you to look at this next uh, passage. Look at this with me here on the screen, verses 18 and 19. And when it was said, you know, word gets out, it leaks out, and all who heard it were amazed at what had been said to the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, and she pondered them in her heart. And we touched on that for just a couple of moments last week. But I want to remind you, in these moments that we have together this morning, what exactly is happening here? Everybody is amazed. Everybody is blown away. Today in the city of David, Savior has been born, Christ the Lord. And uh, man, this, this is like mega news. And everybody's amazed, and everybody is shocked, and the word is beginning to circulate, and everybody's taking it all in, but there is someone else who is pondering and treasuring what has been said, and that person is actually Mary. And she's like, really? Me? An ordinary teenage girl? I'm so ordinary. I've got the name that every other lady has. Why me? Why me? Well, I need to wrap this up, but I want to touch on something before we're done. Now, be sure you get this. Joseph and Mary, Jesus is born now. All right, we're jumping ahead. Jesus uh, is born. Joseph and Mary are deeply devoted to God, and therefore, at the appropriate time, they take Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. By the way, that's why we do baby dedication in our church and that's you know that's why we make that and that's a really really big deal and it goes back you know to old testament samuel and we won't even get into all of that this morning but really on this notion is why we have baby dedication that's why that's an important step and if you've got kids and you've not had them dedicated yet i'd ask you to seriously think about that but they take jesus to the temple to be dedicated and just like today there was always this time of great joy and and healthy pride as parents now, I need to give you a caveat to this story. In the Torah, in the law, you were told that when you brought your firstborn child to be dedicated, that you would also bring a lamb to be sacrificed. All right? You can go back and read that, and I'm not going to get into details because I need to wrap this up. But you would bring, with your firstborn child to be dedicated, a, a lamb for sacrifice. But if you go back, and I hope you will later, I want you to read that Joseph and Mary did not bring a lamb. And you're like, well, I thought you were, you were just mentioning that they were deeply devoted to God. And if it says, the law, the Torah said, well, you need to bring a lamb when you, you know, have your first. Well, why would they bring a lamb? There was provision for the poor. In fact, those who were living well below the poverty line and could not afford to bring a lamb, they could bring a substitute. In this case, because of their poverty, Joseph and Mary, just think about the irony of that. That Jesus, the Son of God, the King, I mean, that he would be born to like parents who were steeped in poverty, who were very poor, and so they couldn't afford to bring a lamb. So there was this provision within the Torah said that in place of a lamb, they could actually bring, and they do, they bring two pigeons. You can check this out. 
But then while I was working on uh, this talk this week, I thought, all right, follow me here. And I I thought they brought with them, because the scripture records that they did, they, they bring two pigeons. But did in a real sense, didn't they actually bring a lamb? Can I take it a step further? Didn't they bring the lamb, the lamb, not a lamb, but the lamb, a lamb slain from the foundation of the world? And I started thinking about that and look back and, and Paul actually describes Jesus as the Passover lamb that had been sacrificed. Luke and Philip identified Jesus with the lamb of Isaiah chapter 53. Peter refers to Jesus as the lamb who was spotless and unblemished and not to be outdone. The revelation, the very last book in all of the Bible on 28 different references refers to Jesus as a conquering and sacrificial lamb. So I'd like to suggest to you today that Jesus was brought as the lamb of God, along with two pigeons, into the temple on the day of his dedication. What happens next? I love what happens next. I touched on it last week. Jesus is dedicated at the temple that day, and as he is, there's this old righteous dude by the name of Simeon. And Simeon walks over, and he takes Jesus in his arms. He lifts the Christ child into the air, sort of like Simba, Lion King. (laughs) You would have to have been there. And he prays to God. What does he pray? I love this. Look at it. Sovereign Lord, Simeon, this is Simeon, this old priest, as you have promised you may now dismiss your servant in peace. What's that saying? Help me out. We got a couple of moments. What's that saying? He's saying, I could die now. I've, I've seen this baby. We've got three kids. They're beautiful kids. They were even more beautiful when they were babies. But nobody ever looked at our kids on the dedication day and said, I've seen this beautiful kid. I guess I can die now. <laughs> Never happened. But he said, Your servant can die in peace. And then look at this next part. For my eyes have seen your salvation. God, I get it. I've been waiting this moment, and now this moment is here. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Look at this next part. I love this. This is so good. A light for revelation to who? To the Gentiles. And the glory of your people Israel. And Simeon's like, enough said, enough done. Over for me. Man, this is Jesus. The salvation of Israel. The salvation of Gentiles. The salvation for you. And the salvation for me. And for the people that we love. And for the people that we work with. And for the friends that we know. And for the neighbor next door across the street. A light of salvation has come. There's a guy by the name, his name is Robert Coleman, and he tells the story in one of the books that he's written of a little boy whose sister, uh, the sister needed a blood transfusion. I'll just read read it to you. It's in the book. The, The doctor had explained that she had the same disease that the boy had recovered from two years earlier. Her only chance for recovery for this little girl was a transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the disease. Since the two children had the same rare blood type, the boy was the ideal donor. Would you give your blood to Mary, the doctor asked. Johnny hesitated. His little lower lip started to tremble. Then he smiled and said, sure, for my sister I will. 
Soon the two children were wheeled into the hospital room, Mary pale and thin, Johnny robust and healthy. Neither one of them spoke, but when their eyes met, Johnny gave a big grin to his sister. As the nurse inserted the needle into his arm, Johnny's smile quickly faded. He watched the blood flow through the tube from his arm to her arm. With the ordeal almost over, his voice slightly shaken, broke in silence. Doctor, he said, when do I die? Only then did the doctor realize why Johnny had hesitated, why he had trembled his little lip when he had agreed to donate the blood. He had thought that giving his blood to his sister meant giving up his life. And in that moment, he had made a great decision. Johnny, fortunately, did not have to die to save his sister. But Jesus had to die to save you and to save me. And I was thinking about it this way. The ultimate tragedy would be to go through this Christmas season and be in one of these services, or those of you that are watching online, and a lot of you do, and not receive Jesus as the Savior and the leader of your life. Simeon held that baby up. He said, now my eyes, I've been anticipating this, maybe never even thought he'd be a part of it. Now my eyes have seen the salvation for Israel, for Gentiles, for people 2,000 years later who would say, Jesus, come into my life, Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my leader. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? For those of you that are here in this building, those of you that are watching online, and if you're not yet a Christian and you want to become one, would you just say, Jesus, come into my life. I know that you had to die to save me. I should have died. I'm the one that sinned. But you came as a little baby into this world. You grew up and you went to a cross and you died for my sin and the sin of the whole world. You died for me. What else can I do? but live for you. And starting today, I will live for you and I will follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. Have a great day.